you know, you're a comedian at the root of it. There's like the, the consciousness is the, is yeah. the twist. Yeah. You know, so the, the marriage was a, a clumsy orgy in the beginning. <laughs> so, you, you know, the, cool. these two parts of me were, were separated. Just like I mentioned, like I can be serious life coaching and I can be funny in my personal life, but I had never let them coexist. So metaphorically speaking, take my inner child out of the basement where I had thrown him for 13 years and said, you stay in the basement because you will screw up my professional life. You're flawed. Mm -hmm. Like that was a shame-based message. I was telling myself, so I had to take him out of the basement and basically say like, I'm sorry, like not only will you not screw up my professional life, you are the gateway into what I'm really supposed to be doing I love you. You're, you're welcome in all aspects of my life, not just when it's safe for you to come out. I believe that each and every one of us has the power within ourselves to create the life that we really want. And I want to help give you the tools to make that happen. I'm Danica Patrick, and I'm Pretty Intense. Today on the show is JP and Amber Sears. They are married. They have the same purpose and goals in life, but accomplish them in different ways. So it was fun to talk about how they arrived at the place that they're at now with JP being what he would call a conscious comedian. And Amber is a, a business coach now and how they, how they got there, which is just a real lesson for us human beings, how to achieve things that you just truly want in your life and that are aligned with you. Uh, then we also talked a lot about relationship. There are a couple that are just here in this life to grow together. And, um, you know, vulnerability is a huge part of, um, of showing up in a way that's going to allow that to happen. So we talked about that. We talked about self-care. Uh, and then of course, JP being JP, he obviously made us laugh a lot. So enjoy the show. Danica, thank you very much for inviting us onto your oh show. My God, sister. I'm so excited for this. I, <laughs> I don't, I mean, you guys both do this stuff too. And like, I, I get done with these shows and I'm like, I feel so energized. Like I feel so good. I feel so, I, I, you know, sometimes it's inspired. Sometimes it's just grateful sometimes, you know, but they, like, I never finish a show and think to myself, Oh God, I'm exhausted. I'm always yeah. so elevated by it. Totally. Well, we'll, we'll make sure you have a grind with us and yeah. <laughs> like you've just been yeah. cross-fitted. <laughs> yeah. You're going to basically fran me during this workout exactly. or during this interview. We'll give you, we'll probably give her like one word answers. I thought actually one of the things that I wanted to start off with is to do more of a little bit of a background on you guys. And because I feel like you guys both had such different um, careers before you arrived where you're at now, which feels like such a, a, a home for you and so natural and also so fun. Um, so uh, ladies first, um, <laughs> you were a dancer for 20 years, right? Yeah. yeah. And then you transitioned into um, you know, business coaching, uh, teacher training, retreats. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of want you to, you know, talk about how you made that transition from being a dancer of 20 years to where you're at now. And like, why did that, how did that all? Yeah. Well, you know, it was really a natural evolution at the time because 
during all my dance training, all my years of dancing, I had a lot of acute and chronic injuries as a lot of professional athletes do. Right. And so I had to learn along the way how to basically prevent injury and rehabilitate my injuries in a way that was going to allow me to keep dancing. Cause really that was my dream for most of my life was to dance as long as I could professionally. Once I got through college and I was dancing in San Francisco for many years. And so, um, but I found Pilates and yoga along the way. Pilates specifically helped me heal a really debilitating back injury I had from a really young age at age 13. Um, had stress fractures in L4, L5, and just within the chronic back pain. And I was going to like chiropractors and physical therapists and acupuncturists. And like nothing was really getting to the root of what my, what, where the pain was, or like the imbalances that I had in my body muscularly that were causing the pain, right? So Pilates taught me all of that. And I said, oh my God, like within two weeks of practicing Pilates, my back pain completely vanished. And I was like, hallelujah, I have found the method. Like I need to learn this fully, not only just for my body, but then I want to teach it because no one deserves to be in pain. Like I was, especially at such a young age, like they were telling me I couldn't run ever again. They said like, I couldn't jump anymore. Like just stuff that you like, you would never say to a teenager. <laughs> She's got her whole life ahead of her. And like to just say, you're going to be in chronic back pain the rest of your life. That's crazy to me. Right. So I was just overwhelmed with, I have to learn this whole method. Like I learned Pilates mat, all the apparatus, all the equipment, and then started teaching that full time. And that's really what transitioned me. I'd say that's what I was doing outside of my dance career. Cause I wasn't making a lot of money dancing. Like it was my passion, but it wasn't paying my bills in San Francisco. Right. So I was, I was teaching alongside my dance career. So that's what I did. I had, you know, private client base for eight years in the city. And I also taught a lot around the world. So I was starting to travel a lot and that's what really, um, I had the travel bug from like a really early age. And so I knew I wanted to teach abroad. I wanted to teach in Bali and Thailand and Costa Rica and Mexico. Like I wanted to take my stuff, my passions around the world. And I'm like, but I have no idea how to do that. So like, how do I even start doing that? So then I put together my first retreat and my first like couple workshops that I'm just like experimenting and trying to figure that out. So for me, it felt really uh, like an easy evolution because I was just following my heart. I was following the things that I really wanted to do. They really lit me up inside where I was teaching the things that really mattered to me. That I was also really helping people. I was serving them at the highest level and that really felt so good to me. I felt so purpose-driven in that. So I just kept pursuing the things that lit my heart up. And that's really been my life. I'd say, <laughs> you know, is how it's unfolded. But then when I moved to Costa Rica, I opened up a wellness center and that's when I started doing all the retreats and the teacher trainings because I was taking all these modalities I had learned and all the people I was collaborating with and just putting it into, into like projects and experiences for people. Um, but then that led to business coaching because it was like all of a sudden all these people were telling me, I want to create a business like yours. How did you create this lifestyle? How did you create this business in Costa Rica? How are you doing retreats around the world? I want to do that too. And I was like, really? Okay, I never thought I'd be like a business coach. That was never my dream or intention. But now I'm in this place where I have this information. And of course, I wanna empower other individuals like me who love these modalities to do this around the world and help more people. So I need to teach them business so they can actually do that. So that's been like the natural progression. Does the business part feel natural? It does. To you? Now it does. You know, initially I was like, yeah. okay, how do I take all the things I've learned and like give it to someone? Because <laughs> it's been like 10 years of, you know, figuring out systems and what works for me doesn't always work for someone else, obviously. So I had to really find things that were more universal, let's say, and, and put together programs and structures that um, could work for everybody. So that was kind of a process, learning process. Wow. Nice natural evolution, yeah. though. So, what would your, I mean, for your quick and dirty advice for someone who <clears throat> hears your story and is like, 
wow, you make it sound so easy. <laughs> yeah. Like you just went from like, oh, I did this and then Pilates and then I danced and then I started teaching around the world and then I traveled and then I did this and then I went to Costa Rica and now I'm a businessman, business, um, you know, coach. <laughs> so what is your advice? Like how, but there's a common theme in it, right? I'm sure there's a common theme in how you got from point A to yeah. point Z. So what, what is that? What is yeah, that? For me, it's, it's, it was always listening to my heart and what really called me. So it really excited me. And so to me, purpose is huge. Like I feel like I'm really lucky because my mom taught me from a really young age to follow my heart and do what lit me up inside. And as long as I kept doing that, I knew I was living more on purpose than, for example, if I did like a standard nine to five desk job that would feel, and I've had those jobs, right? And they make me feel like my soul is being paved over every day, <laughs> you know? And so I just realized like, I can't, I, I know what life can be like if I live on purpose and I live in alignment with my heart. So let me try to do that because this soul crushing path I'm currently doing isn't working for me, right? Like that was my experience with, let's say more standard jobs. And so um, I knew I, I was going to be an entrepreneur from a really young age because I wanted to create a lifestyle that really lit me up. That was like, I wanted to see what was possible in my life. So for me, it was like, I I've always been a big dreamer of like, I see other people creating retreats around the world. I don't know how they're doing it, but I'm going to figure it out. So like everything is figure outable and I can always hire someone who's living and embodying that dream to teach me, or I can be like a mentee to someone who's, you know, currently doing that or volunteer my time. So I did a lot of stuff in the beginning where I was working with people who were already living my dream. Like I would go volunteer on their retreats, or I would go assist and teach yoga on their teacher training when they were teaching Rasha, you know, stuff. So it was like, I, I would teamed up with people and learn through experience what didn't, didn't work rather than like investing mm. a lot of front and failing which I did that too. I failed a lot, but I think it's the willingness to take big risks, be willing to fail and, but continually following your heart and listening to that intuitive guidance, because in general, um, that's at the end of the day, I think what's most important because it means that you're always going to be on purpose and you're always going to be fulfilled. And if you're doing yeah. that, I think you're winning yeah. in life, regardless of how much money you make, which by the way, you can make good money living on purpose. Let me tell you, but like <laughs> they do, Usually you do. I think usually yes. you do. And they, they do coexist together. I think a lot of people think it's one or the other, but um, in general, it's just trusting, trusting like that inner guidance and continuing to, to trust that you can figure it out. You're totally capable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there a story that you have that shows the contrast between a time when you listened to your heart, you stepped into a fearful place where you're like, holy shit this could go terribly. And then I have no money left, or I don't know where I'm going to live, or I don't know what I'm going to do. And then the other side of that, where you said, you know what, this isn't practical. That's not a good, that's not a reasonable thought. I don't think this is a good idea. This isn't safe. I'm going to go this route because, you know, this is what makes sense to me in my head. Like, what, is there a contrasting story where you followed your heart and it paid off. And then some other time where you thought you were being very practical and making the right decision, but you're like, yeah, so now I'm here, which is not where I want to be. Totally. Well, I mean, I'd say like the first, my first eight years since I was like, I was really keeping myself there and, and preventing myself from really living like the digital nomad online business lifestyle. I actually really wanted because I was pursuing my dance career. Mm -hmm. And that was like, my thing like this is my identity i'm like clinging to this identity even though it's a very short career span like most dancers are done at age 30 like they're not dancing beyond you're lucky if you're dancing beyond 30. and so um you know for me it was 
clinging to this identity and this dream. And in actuality, I was running myself into the ground. So I was working round the clock, six days a week, sometimes pulling 18 hour days just to make my bills, just to like do what I love, but, um, and, and Mm -hmm. hustle and grind in San Francisco. So I ran myself into the ground for a good eight years doing that. Um, and so, but I, you know, I finally hit a rock bottom where I was like, I can't do this anymore. There's gotta be a better way. And that's when I decided to up and and what was that? So that was the What's rock bottom? Rock bottom for me was like, um, literally, I did not have friends. I didn't have people I was dating. Like, I didn't have anything outside of business or work. I was in constant hustle mode, mm-hmm. and self care was not even a thing. Like, I danced, you know, sometimes two to four hours a day, and then I'd go train for six hours, go train people for six hours. And then I'd go home and then I'd go maybe go work at my wine bar job for another five hours. It was just crazy. Like, I was trying to pack all this stuff in because I wanted to still dance. And I, and I wasn't making enough money doing this hourly based training, you know, I could only charge a hundred dollars an hour. So my income was tapped. And San Francisco is super expensive to live in San totally, Francisco. Totally. Totally. And I had good rent. I was under rent control. Like I had things, things dialed. So it wasn't like so intense for me, but at the same time, like it was a constant grind. So I never took days off. I, I had like Sunday, half a day I'd take off, but that really wasn't off. I didn't have a social life. I didn't have any time to date. So I just was, um, isolated, depressed, anxious all the time, trying to just keep this all, all the balls in the air. So what really shifted for me and why I decided to move to Costa Rica is I went down to, I was invited to teach at the Envision Festival, which many of you guys might know that festival. It's amazing. Definitely go. It's fantastic. Changed my life. So I went down to teach and this is like early on the festival's history. So it was like their third or fourth festival. So there's like 30 people in my yoga class, but I'm like, whatever, it's great. Like it was fun. It was on the grass, you know, but whatever. It was so fun. So I was there for two weeks. And what I realized is, wow, these people get it. They understand quality of life in a way that I was not living. I was grinding myself into the floor. And these people are living this gorgeous lifestyle connected to nature, in the jungle, in the ocean every day. They're living their dreams. They have these amazing retreat centers and they're just like creating these festivals and they're getting to live out their dreams in paradise. Like sign me up. Why did I not choose that? You know? So I go back to, I go back to San Francisco and I'm like, something's got to change. Like I'm obviously connected from nature. I'm living in a high rise downtown San Francisco. Like I barely got my feet on the ground, like maybe once a month, you know what I mean? At a park. So it's like, yeah, so disconnected from nature, which definitely frazzles your nervous system and totally takes you out of balance. So I realized on that trip, wow, my quality of life is horrible. And, and I can teach my passions in paradise if I figure out a way to do it. If I figure out a way. So that's, Mm. that's really what took that big leap. So I left the country in four months. I closed all my business. I sold a lot of my stuff. I, um, ended up taking on an investor who invested in initial seed capital, which I'd never done before. This terrified me. And I went to Costa Rica mm-hmm. where I didn't know the language. <laughs> and I opened up a, a center and I was like, let's see how this goes. This is going to be an experiment. We'll see how it goes, you know? And I, I learned a lot. We'll see if I can get, we'll see if I can get groceries, find right. a place to live, find the yeah. bathroom. Yeah, it was more, it was just like, and I had enough Spanish to kind of get by, but like doing contracts and dealing with attorneys yeah. and all that, like it was, it was not yeah. easy at all. I was using Google Translate on my phone, like, you know, just, just stuff yeah. that's, but you learn, well, you know, you learn a lot. Yeah. And what I'm hearing though, is that 
I feel like the transition was when you took that chance and went to Costa Rica for the yeah. Vision Festival, but it was actually such an easy decision. It sounds like almost Very after so. that, like taking the trip is fine, but it was like, once you set, once you, once you saw it, you couldn't unsee it and unknow it and yeah. unfeel it. And it almost made abandoning everything else. It sounds like the only it way. Essentially. And I was willing to do anything in that time to get out of the city. Like it was that strong in me. It was that pivotal pull. I needed to take me out of the city because for many years I was like, what is it going to be? That's going to pull me out. Maybe a partner, maybe I meet a guy. Sure. What's going to take me out of the city as I, I did like my lifestyle there. I thought I did until I saw what was possible. And then I went, Oh, I want that. <laughs> so, so if I want that, yeah. then how am I going to make that happen? And I'm willing to let everything else go in order to figure out what, yeah. what it takes to get there. Yeah. And then once you start raising your frequency in that magical way of doing more and more of what you love, then you start attracting more and more of what you love. Totally. Um, thank you for that. So JP, you, uh, you were um, a life coach for 13 years. That's, is that right? Based on my memories, uh, that would be true, but I lie to myself often, but, how, but yeah, that's true. How did you, how were you, how were you funny in these life coaching no, sessions? No, no. So in the life coaching sessions, I would give my clients, or if I'm teaching like a workshop or a retreat, I would give them the very sincere part of my heart. And it was real. But what wasn't real about it is I was purposely occluding off my playful inner child. I, I, was, I sold mm. myself on a story that said, I have to be serious in order to make it like I had a, in my mind, like, Oh, a life coach, spiritual teacher is kind of like Eckhart Tolle, just like serious. And if you're funny, that means you're not spiritual, you're not helpful. So yeah, yeah I, I was doing that for 13 years, but of course in my, my personal life with friends and family, you know, I'd be my goofy self, my, my whole self, but life coaching, I was my half self. Mm, mm, the serious half. Well, I'm super grateful that you've um, unleashed the uh, goofy other Me half. Too. So you'd call yourself what, a conscious comedian, yeah, right? Like Is that what you would call a yourself? Conscious comedian because it sounds pretentious. Like, oh yeah, I'm not a comedian. I'm a conscious comedian. Yep. Yet uh, I also want to <laughs> own that. Like, yeah, uh, the reason why I do comedy is to help people wake up and embrace their their power, their authenticity, and follow their heart. So at the heart of the intention of my comedy that I'm doing. So it feels good to just own that through the term conscious comedian. Yeah. Well, how did then the marriage of the two come together? Right. Because there's one thing about being funny, right. And then there's a whole nother thing when you are able to weave conspiracies, you know, um, uh, you know, spirituality. I mean, I'm just going to live and die by your, how, how spiritual people argue <laughs> video. Um, like to even start to know the lingo, to understand the dynamics, to even tap into, you know, obviously stuff that Amber's starting to experience frequency and energy and nature and, you know, all of that stuff. Like, I want to know how that part came in because that's like, I mean, it feels like as much as, um, you know, you're a comedian at the root of it. There's like the, the consciousness is the, is yeah. the twist. 
Yeah, you know, so the the marriage was a, a clumsy orgy in the beginning. <laughs> so you, you know, the cool. these two parts of me were were separated, just like I mentioned. Like I can be serious life coaching, and I can be funny in my personal life, but I had never let them coexist. So I'll give you an internal answer first, which will sound super abstract and airy fairy, and it won't matter. Then I'll give a practical answer. So the internal answer. Uh, the work I had to do was integrate these parts of me. So essentially, metaphorically speaking, take my inner child out of the basement where I had thrown him for 13 years and said, you stay in the basement because you will screw up my professional life. You're flawed. Like that was a shame-based message. I was telling myself, so I had to take him out of the basement and basically say like, I'm sorry, like, not only will you not screw up my professional life, you are the gateway into what I'm really supposed to be doing. I love you. You're, you're welcome in all aspects of my life, not just when it's safe for you to come out. So internally, I had to do a lot of self-integration and go through the layers of shame that had compelled me to lock my inner child in the, you know, just all shame-based stuff. And then comes the orgy part, kind of more the practical answer. Now, I had to do what I didn't know how to do. Just like how a, you know, a, a one-year-old, they don't know how to walk until they try to do the thing they don't know how to do, which is walking. So my job was like, I'm going to fumble around and make these clumsy comedy videos where I'm trying to express a a sincere message through the language of comedy. I don't know how it's going to come across. I don't even know if I get it, like what the hell. And, and I'm sure some of the videos went down like barbed wire and some went down a little bit smoother, but along the way I was learning how to weave the sincere message of awakening with the, the language of comedy. So I, I just had to do it. Just like the one-year-old who doesn't know how, how to walk, it, they have to just try it and fail and keep going, even though uh, their knees are skinned. But you know, it, I, I'm grateful that I attempted to do the thing that I don't know how to do. And I don't even know if I know how to do it now. I'm still <laughs> in the, the practice of it. But certainly what I've found is comedy is a language of connection. It, it's, it, mm -hmm. it reaches the, the masses. You could be talking to someone in China who you don't know their language, they don't know yours, but if they start laughing, you get it. There's a connection. So the, the sincerity I have in my heart to help people follow their hearts and live better mm -hmm. lives I found like late weaving that together with the comedy is how I can reach many more people. Mm, it's almost like music, yeah. right? Like it's this sort of like laughter and music are, are similar in their sense of dissolving boundaries or differences. Um, funny is funny and beautiful music is beautiful music. Um, so how like back then, when you say I had to integrate my inner child, I mean, even for me, not all that long ago, that doesn't even make sense. Like, how did you even arrive at that? How did you even arrive at that conclusion? That's what you need to do, right? Like, how do you get there? Because I think most people 
you know, you go about your life and you just think yeah. you're normal. You think everything's normal and you think you're treating everyone great and you're treating yourself great and, you know, things just keep happening to you and, oh, damn life and my luck and whatever else. And you just don't really like flip yeah. the mirror on yourself ever. You just kind of are a passenger in life. So like, how did you even get to the point where you knew, hey, I need to embrace this inner child in me. I need to give it a voice. I need to not shut it down. Yeah, you know, this might be unique to the redhead species is how I operate. But I never got to the point where I knew like, hey, I've got to integrate these things. I can only now in hindsight realize that's what I was doing. While I was doing it, I didn't really know what I was doing. But looking back, I can realize what I, what I was doing. You know, I'm the the... The way I work, I don't know if it's my astrology, human design, or demented blue eyes, but I never know where I'm going until I'm there. You know, like Amber talked about, like, you know, she, she's able to better have a vision and then go there, create it. I'm more like Forrest Gump, mm -hmm. like low IQ JP over here. There's a phenomenal quote in a book I'm reading. It's called The Lion's Trackers, The Lion Tracker's Guide by Boyd Vardy, the wonderful quote in there, uh, spoken from a lion tracker's perspective, but it also, it's how I resonate with life. And the quote is, I don't know where I'm going, but I know exactly how to get there. And exactly how to get there is the way Forrest Gump did it. Follow your heart and where it's telling you to take the next step. I don't know where that next step is leading, but I can tell my heart is more enlivened. Like JP of five, six years ago, my heart is more enlivened making a comedy video. I don't know where that's leading. My, you know, integrating the inner child. I didn't know what the hell I'm doing that for. Didn't even know I was doing it in the moment. I just thought, like, oh, I'm doing self-work, healing my shame. But yeah, you know, so Forrest Gump is my hero. It's just anytime personally I set goals, a vision of where I'm going, it just messes up my heart. So I do my best to follow my heart one step at a time. What's the furthest you plan in advance then? That's a good question. Not very far. Amber, what's the furthest he plans in advance? Not very far. I do a lot of planning for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Danica, I would love to say that I'm so spiritual that I don't believe in time and the future's <laughs> just a figment of your imagination and I'm just so present. And I think I could personally probably do better uh, planning, like especially practical things. Like we've got a baby coming and if, if it was left up to me, it'd be like, yes. oh, let's do the baby's room because he was just born. But, you know, we're... <laughs> We're now like, Typical. we're Typical. four and a half months out and Amber's got the whole room done. Because, <laughs> so I could plan Almost. more, but when it comes to following my heart and soul, I think the heart and soul yeah. speaks in the language of now. So it's like, I, I know what my heart's mm -hmm. calling towards now. Do you guys live off of, I mean, I, there's so many different sort of spiritual differences, it's like so many little ways of thinking about things as far as manifesting goes and frequency and attraction, you know, law of attraction. Does that play into your guys's world, like 
do you think about that consciously or um, I mean, given you're a conscious comedian, that might, might be true, but, um, <laughs> but do you, does that play in or is this really just a matter of just, you just, you have, you just live your life in this really present way. Probably a little different. How would you say you relate to that? Yeah. So for me, um, I have a lot of self-care rituals and practices I do to attune my energy on a daily basis to help me stay grounded, centered, connected to my intuition, excited, passionate. And when I don't do those things, I notice a big difference in my energy field. Also, I eat a certain way. I've been plant-based for 11 years. So for me, there's certain I do in my lifestyle that help yoga, meditation, you know, they really help me stay connected to myself so I can actually listen to the wisdom that's coming in so I can listen to my heart and pursue the things that matter to me and vision and plan and all that stuff. And that I, I strongly believe in vibrational energy and how that affects how we create and what we attract um, and how we, for me, it's all about like embodying the next level version of myself. So like creating that person, but then beginning to embody her. What does she speak like? What does she walk like? How does she dress? How does she think? You know, like that's that sort of, that's how I grow faster, right? Take like bigger quantum leaps. So that's the way I think about it. But we learned a lot from Tony Robbins too. Tony Robbins is like such a master of this idea of like priming your energy field for the day um, with all sorts of affirmations. And you do that. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it basically means, you know, stimulating your mind and teaching your mind that you're in control of your mind, not the mind is in control of you and awakening the body. Yeah, I, that's my interpretation. Really physical, getting really physical with your, um, let's say with how you're priming yourself for the day. So he talks a lot about physiology and how that relates to your mental emotional state. So if you're not priming your physical body by like moving and doing big things and like, so he has you dancing, he has you on rebounders, rebounders. He has you doing your affirmations with like a really strong stance and like punching and doing things that you're embodying it versus just thinking about it. So he's thinking about, he's really talking about how your physiology changes your mental emotional. And if you start with the physiology first, it's actually like a, a quantum leap, quick start, fast track to shifting the mental emotional stuff. So like totally. And JP does that every morning. Yeah. I what do you do? Show me. Can you show me exactly what it is that you do yeah. here as a Cut. dance of some sort? Or? <laughs> it's not, I, I don't do the dancing, but typically uh, I'll go out in the garage where I have a gym and I'll jump on the rebounder in you know, my priming ritual, I'll have on like music that I love. And then I go through what our, we learned it at Tony Robbins. This isn't necessarily like a Tony Robbins, but just that's the source. So I'll, I'll recite out loud, basically yelling what are called my power virtues. I am bold. I am loving. I am playful. So that's the energy of how I want to show up in the world. So I'll repeat that a bunch of times. Then I'll yell out my mission statement several times. IJP Sears, see, hear, feel, and know the purpose of my life is to be outrageously playful and inspire the world around me. And then, you know, my, my primary question that I curiously roam life by, which is how can I be even more loving and accepting right now? So that's like the the type of JP I aim to be for and kind of like setting that vibration in the beginning of the day. And it makes a big difference. I mean, I'm I'm far from perfect. I still have bad days, but on the whole, my days are always better starting off attuning into 
we'll call it the vibration that I want to live life and take into my work and yeah. take into my relationship. But do you do vision boards? Uh, I have before. Yeah. And especially if I'm working on a project or something I want to do, whether it's a backyard or a greenhouse or a house or whatever, I will start to like screenshot different things that I like. And what's so crazy, not crazy, but it is crazy when you first start doing it is that you, you see it in the end and it happens and you go, holy shit, it looks just yeah. like those pictures. And, you know, it's something about you that you, you get to win a gold medal in is you take massive action. Yeah. And, and, and I think we do our best to take massive action too, where, where I, I like to call out the bullshit on people who use vision boards as a, an escape mechanism. So they don't have to live their life, you know, when, when they, okay, this right. is the law of attraction, but they also forget the law of action is really freaking important to have what yeah. you want as well and to be who you want. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know, maybe you can elaborate more on that. And also like my little like flavoring in that would be just that belief, right? Like that magical connection. I'm, I'm hearing this Tony Robbins sort of style activation mm -hmm. for your day to be a way to connect the words yeah. or the feeling, which then threads in that power of belief too, which is like you actually, it's like one thing to go, man, I'm going to start a business one day. I really want to start a business one day. And it's another thing to go, I can see it. Like, I can see it. I see the business. I, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. And you can feel it and see it and you imagine it and you can like, you can visualize it and you really believe it's possible, right? For me to say, I believe I'm going to, I'm going to go dunk a basketball. I, there's no possible way in the world I can well, believe that's could, possible. They make rims right? lower, Danica. Yeah. <laughs> I could have been so much cooler. I could have been so much cooler. I could have been a basketball but you star. Your whole life away out of this limiting belief that all basketball rims are ten feet high, <laughs> or they need to be tall, or you need to be tall. But yeah, you know, I, I think with the law of attraction. You know, which it's a topic that the way it's presented in in um, the pop culture spiritual realm, I think it's it's tends to be presented in a very one dimensional way, and mm -hmm. but I think it deserves a three dimensional uh, approach, and and I personally think what's what's more potent than like our thoughts thinking about what we want and want to manifest which is that's so important but you mentioned the feeling word generating the feelings connecting to the feelings that are associated with what we want both the fears the excitements you know one of my favorite quotes of all time carl jung he is swiss psychiatrist i think he died in 1963 super wise man he said mm -hmm. feelings are the language of our soul and so I think the, the power of our soul comes through when we connect to our feelings. But the problem is our feelings are the scariest thing we're ever going to encounter. Like, ooh, life would be easy if all, the only feeling we had to deal with is happiness or joy. But really, like anything outside of our comfort zone doesn't just produce happiness and joy. It produces fears shames, angers, like they're, 
And if Carl Jung was right, that too is the language of our soul. And, and I don't think the, the purpose mm. of going through our fears and allowing our body, I don't think the purpose is to be stuck in them. I think the purpose is to go through them so they can shepherd us to the other side, um, you know, through the proverbial dark woods. I'm sorry, you were going to say. Yeah, no, I just was going to um, add something right in there. But uh, one thing I wanted to add to that too, Danica, is like one thing I've learned is like pushing too hard is not the right approach either because I've, I've sure, defaulted into grand mode. Like that was my default. Um, most of my life. And so I've had to learn the art of receiving <laughs> because I've always been like, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it happen. I grind and push and push. Like, wow, that's actually so self-destructive. It's actually keeping me in a lower vibration, being this gung-ho and pushing so hard mm. and being so controlling and perfectionistic and all this stuff. So I had to like break all those patterns to figure out like, actually there's a fine dance there between tons of action and focus and also being open to receiving and flowing and adapting and collaborating and like doing all these things that I was just like, it's my way or the highway initially, right? Like I'm going to just plow through all this stuff and make it happen. And it's like, Ooh, I learned the hard way hitting that burnout wall so many times. That's actually takes me into such a low vibration that I can't even attract the things that I'm trying to manifest because I'm in such a grind. So mm-hmm. there's a fine dance there. Mm-hmm. I, um, I was going to ask kind of what, point in time you felt maybe the most um, emotions or feelings because that possibly is an, a spot, a point in time where you've had the biggest transitions. But so I'm, I'm still asking that, but what I also want to talk about because I mean, I remember listening to you guys doing a podcast. I don't know. It might've been the first one you guys did together. Maybe not, but it was probably, it was a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, you guys were talking about your relationship and you're talking about, you know, all of your own journeys and comedy and plant medicine and retreats and all, and all of those kinds of things. But you talked about this sort of new paradigm of a relationship and how you guys, um, you know, weren't trying to be, you, you weren't trying to live by the prototypical relationship and how that goes and being together every day, nine to five, like do this, come home, you know, and you guys traveled and did some of your own things on your own. Um, so I'm just getting this feeling like perhaps, you know, there's also maybe some stories that have to do with the two of you because relationships are, can really be our biggest oh. teachers and our, our biggest mirrors of like the things that we're not facing and the things that we're pushing down or we're so used to doing coping mechanisms, triggers. I mean, relationships can be our biggest point of healing if we allow it. So maybe it's been in your relationship that, you know, you've had those moments where you have had to feel the most because you needed to move something through you. So do you guys have anything around that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh- First thing that comes up, and I'll share about me, but first, there's a Brene Brown quote I love that you probably know of Brene Brown. She's only the yeah. <laughs> She gets I the mean. gold medal. Um, sure. But no, one of her sure. quotes, it's something along the lines of, true love is being willing to die for the person that you yourself want to kill sometimes. So, which I love. And to me, that speaks to the triggering nature of a relationship which speaks to how a relationship is one of, if not the primary growth teachers. And, mm-hmm. and for me, I, it, it is my primary 
growth teacher. I, I look at our relationship as a, a sweat lodge ceremony. It, you know, sometimes we crawl out of the tent. It's like, oh, cool. That's a relief. Like things are groovy. And then nothing will produce feelings of fear in me, anger in me, or shame in me, like our relationship. And I would love to pretend in those Mm -hmm. moments, like Amber did that to me. She made me feel this. Mm -hmm. But it's just like when you squeeze a lemon, the juice isn't being generated in that moment. The juice has been inside all along. It's just being expressed externally now. You can notice it. So I think 95% of the time, the fears, the shame, the anger, stuff that it's been inside. And that's why a marriage is a mirroring of each other. So I get to look in the mirror of Amber. And when I'm highly emotionally charged on my good days, I get to ask, what's this say about me? And I get to own my emotions and own my experiences rather than projecting onto her and getting angry at the mirror I see of me in it. So yeah, man, there's nothing that challenges me nearly as much as our relationship. And I, I say that with so much reverence and respect. It's very much a spiritual practice. You know, similarly, like if someone eats a piece of broccoli versus drinking ayahuasca, you'd be like, oh, that broccoli doesn't challenge me nearly as much as ayahuasca. That's why we say ayahuasca is sacred and we don't call broccoli sacred. So for me, <laughs> same thing for our relationship. So you piss me off, mm-hmm. babe. Yeah. Okay, you too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, I in terms of like a specific a specific story or example, like you know, one of the things that we've been really trying to wrap our brains around is parenthood because this is like the new phase we're stepping into, and it's such a yeah. And congratulations. I haven't like taken the time to point that out, but I know that like obviously I met you guys, you know, back before you were. Uh, yeah, well, maybe it was just before you got pregnant and um, how much you wanted to have a child. And so congratulations. What a what a beautiful, beautiful point Thank in your you. life right now. Yeah. And, you know, but it's also it's such a massive transition and it's it's um, something that both of us like when we first met, we never wanted kids. Like I was the person that never wanted to get married, never want to have kids. And when I met JP, I was like, oh, this is why I never wanted to have kids. I had to meet the right person. She was very attracted to me, Danica. <laughs> Highly. It was like my soul was like, light switch. Okay, this is the one. This is like who you're supposed to be doing this with. So, but but along that journey, like I, in the first like couple, you know, months, the first trimester, going through this big identity shift and ego death of like who Amber once was and who she's becoming and being in this big transition period. And then me being in the process already and JP being on the outside and being like, what's happening? How can I help you? Like, you know, cause he's not, it's not an embodied experience for him yet. So I'm like planning way ahead. I got all these like books and I'm, and so one of the things that we're trying to figure out is like how we want to show up as parents and how we want to embody an example, a good example for our kids. <laughs> and so that's something that's really kind of coming to the forefront is like, we got a lot of shit we want to work on before Wilder enters the world because we don't want to, embody these examples for him like we don't like the way that we deal with our triggers with each other right so how are we gonna find a communication skill set that's gonna really serve us as a foundational language where we we both have like a a common ground we can speak from when we get upset and we can actually be a better example for wilder because some of the patterns we play out are obviously old generational patterns we've been passed on to us from our families and also stuff we developed in this life and so we're like 
uh, like individual work, but also collective work together. So that's been a process of figuring out what can we do? We've got like four months to lease here <laughs> and this isn't going to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to mess up. We're going to fail a lot, but like at least we can prepare better. And so that's one of the things that we've been just trying to communicate better about. And um, yeah, so th those have been the challenging talks I'd say most recently. What are your triggers? Oh, where do we start? <laughs> you know, uh, my... Just trying to feel like a human. <laughs> yeah, okay. so. Do you want to go first, babe, or do you want me to? You go for it, <laughs> Okay. We only have, um, you know, about 20 minutes, 30 that's minutes all left. That's all that's left so in this therapy session. <laughs> you know, my, um, my, my biggest trigger comes from my biggest fear, and that's when... Uh, someone who is close to me is angry at me and and mm. amber uh isn't blocked by shame with her anger so when she gets angry she gets angry and sometimes there's yelling at me it's it's intense yet the proportion of my fear trigger around that and how i usually react to that is i withdraw uh sometimes up, up to a week so, but, but so my, does that look like, does that look like silent treatment? Does that look like leaving yeah, town? It, does that you know, look like, uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm quieter. I'm more disconnected. I'm like, I'm scared of her, but it's, <laughs> it's, um, you know, my reaction to her anger is out of proportion relative to her actual anger. So from my childhood of my dad screaming at me. So like how my anger got treated as a kid with intense, ferocious anger, I didn't know how to deal with that. So I didn't deal with that. Yeah. And here in this mirror edge, uh, Amber's one of my, um, she's my prime spiritual teacher helping show me. I mean, she doesn't know she's doing this in the moment, but her higher self does. She's helping show me like JP, here's this dark stuck energy that's been in your emotional digestive tract for 36 years. And I love you enough. I'm willing to be your greatest fear right now. So you can have the opportunity mm -hmm. to process this and integrate it rather than it dividing you on the inside. So mm -hmm. yeah, her, her anger is my, my biggest trigger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I'm mm, that makes sense. It all just comes from childhood. I mean, all we have to do is just Yeah. yeah. Yours. Um, you know, so mine, um, I've seen, for example, my parents play out patterns in their marriage that I knew growing up I never ever want to experience those patterns. Like and what I find with JP, what I experience of him is that he he has certain patterns my dad has. And the, and one of them is the emotional close off he does. If I raise my tone a little bit, mm -hmm. if I raise my voice a little bit, the shutdown and the disconnection and the emotional detachment, the, un the inability to communicate at that point with me is like, mm -hmm. like the worst <laughs> for whatever reason, <laughs> the worst, the worst. The worst. I'm like, I just need to talk to you. I just, like so you know how you're feeling. Like, that's why I'm trying to like express this stuff because I want to hear you express to me too. So that, that communicate, I think our communication styles are because of our, our pasts and because of also previous relationships, like yeah. how we communicate when we're triggered is not ideal. Like I'm learning how to tone down my anger expression and my tone, and he's learning how to 
actually express it more. Yeah. Our, our relationship coach has asked, actually, part of my homework is I need to get angry get at angrier. Amber. And Amber's got to work on the other direction, which is yeah. great. Yeah. So, well, how do you respond? So is that when you yell is when he's not talking to you, then you just kind of jack so it up it, a little it, further it, and a little exactly. further? So as soon as, as, if I don't feel like I'm being heard, that's why I raise my voice, right? So mm-hmm. initially, um, oftentimes it starts out with a tone and I'm like, sound a little irritated mm-hmm. and then he'll shut down and not talk. And then I'm like, oh, but you need to hear me. And then, you know, so again, this is like my wound around not being heard or being silenced in previous relationships. So I'm like, you're going to hear me <laughs> in one way or the other. You're going to hear me. Right. And so it's, it's learning. We're learning tools to help us right now with that, because ultimately we don't, that doesn't get us anywhere. It just causes way more disconnection than mm-hmm. anything where he's yeah. stonewalling me yeah. shut down. And I'm like, well, screw you. I'm pissed over here. Cause he's not willing to talk to me. And it just creates so much division. It, and it, resentment. It's yeah. absolutely a, a shit show when, it, and it happens to us, but also I think all relationships, when one partner's trigger triggers the other partner's trigger, right. and then that triggers another trigger. <laughs> and it's, yeah. so we- It just compounds. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's, it's weird that we're the only ones. Yeah. Uh, it's just because we're defective. Just you, just, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Wow. Well, I'm so glad we're here together to be our own little um, community, our wolf pack. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I'm, I know that it's intrusive maybe, and I don't mean to cross the line to ask the personal stuff about that. Um, I know you're willing to wear a speedo JP, but I, you know, maybe there's some things that you aren't willing to talk about, but I appreciate it because in asking the question, it's more about showing people that, this is normal. Everybody has problems. We all have triggers. Our triggers are not who we are. They, they might be kind of who we are right now, but they're not us at our core. They're not us on a soul level. And, um, and also just because there's disagreements or arguments or we get triggered also doesn't mean we're not spiritual. (laughs) We're not conscious. We're not connected. And in fact, it's in the dark work where we actually are alchemizing even more of it, right? Like if you can't just, you can't just live in this sphere of like, think a positive thought and do a positive thing and everything is good. Shit's going to hit the fan and we all have shadows. And unless we you know, tend to those shadows. Well, I mean, I feel like even in you coming out with, you know, be, you know, transitioning from life coach to comedian is like, that was your shadow. Your shadow was like the goofy side of you. Right. So like, how can you alchemize it? And I think that, you know, I appreciate you sharing that because it's relatable. Yeah. it's, It's so, so important. And I think one thing that we're really excited about is like having a third party in this equation right now with their coach to be like, here's your individual work, Amber, here's your individual work, JP. And then we have calls together too, but having like tools because none of us are taught relationship tools growing up. We just like fumble through them. Yeah. Talk about that. I'd love love to hear more about this because this is the thing is you can be aware like, Oh yeah, my husband and I fight or my wife and I, or whatever, even my child, right. That could, Mm -hmm. could be like an adult, you know, could be more of a mature, but maybe it's a work situation, whatever it is. And they go, so yeah. well, and that's where we got to this point where we're like, we've reached our, even though he's been through a lot of relationship coaching, this is my first relationship coach experience, but he's been through a lot, many in, in the past. 
and worked with different coaches. And so he has, I think, more, more tools initially. But I was like, I just want tools because I feel like I'm hitting a wall where both of us don't know what to do anymore. Um, his way isn't yeah. working for me. My way isn't working for him. So we need to find a common language or tools that we can both use. But we, all, we both need different tools because we're in different places. Like she's like, Amber, this is what I want you to do because these are your patterns. And JP, this is so, yeah, it's just been like a big weight off our shoulders of like, okay, we don't have to figure it all out. We have someone who like can actually share with us like this is super normal. All couples go through something mm -hmm. similar or, you know, everyone's got their own stuff they're working on. Um, and many of our friends that are couples are also working with this coach or a coach. And it's been so cool to be around other couples who are consciously working on their relationships in this way and more of a preventative fa fashion, let's say, right. Where they're going to a coach before mm -hmm. things get really bad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. Yeah, oftentimes like what we learn from our parents and God love them. I'm not trying to throw my parents or anybody's parents under a bus yeah. yet. A, a lot of our parents weren't living in a time where self-growth is just kind of become normal. So a lot of them weren't doing conscious work on relationships. So a lot of what we learned uh, is coping mechanisms and compensation patterns like, oh, cool, mom gets angry. So I learned you avoid that instead of working with mm -hmm. that and working with what comes up in me about the anger and then, you know, vice versa. So I think, um, you know, it's kind of like you, you wouldn't do ayahuasca without a shaman, yet we always do relationships mm -hmm. without a shaman, without a coach. And uh, I, man, I, I just think, you know, as we're, I mean, we're only two weeks deep into working with our coach, mm -hmm. but we love her and we, it's just been so amazing in these early stages. I just kind of kicked myself like, yeah, why do we wait so long to work with a coach? And, yeah. but yeah, man, we, we all have our shit like I, we're all full of shit i think that's why god gave us an asshole to remind us that we're full of shit we've we, we, we all have the inner yucky stuff inside of us and a lot of the yucky stuff that we have inside that we're ashamed of don't know how to deal with it a lot of times that's actually our greatest gifts we just don't know it yeah but yeah we all have our yeah. shadows to work on you know you guys talked earlier about self-care and so while there can be triggers with each other sure um you know, I'm sure that there's certain points that you can, there's ways, like you say, Amber, about getting up and doing your certain things. And, um, you know, JP, you're both super fit. You're, you know, dance, lean, lanky, like beautiful fit. And you're like, um, I lift, I lift weights. I'm very strong fit. And, um, but what do you guys do? Because, I mean, I think that there's, you know, there's things I can think for myself that if these things are not in my, regular routine, whether it be daily or most days, um, it really takes me out of alignment. It takes me out of this frequency where I can continue to attract more and more good things. I can get on really negative mental spirals. And, you know, usually it has to do with looking at your phone for too long. Um, <laughs> like, do you guys have phone rules? Are there like phone rules in relationship where you're like, not after this time or not that, or, you know, but what are those things that take you personally out of alignment that make you easier yeah. to trigger? Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, I'd say what, what takes me out of alignment is my workaholic tendencies. So my mm. need to feel purposeful is very much in tandem with my work. So if I'm not working, I'm like, you know, there's, there's this old story that if I'm not working, I'm not 
um, valuable, which is, I think, a program a lot of Americans or Western people run, um, <laughs> right? So mm -hmm. that that's an old program I'm working to release, and I've gotten so much better with that over time. But it's very easy for me to default to work mode, and that cuts me off very quickly from my body, my heart, my feminine essence. I get real masculine with my work. Where I'm just like, get you done. I'm just like a, you know, a taskmaster. And so it takes me out of that playful, fun, flowy, feminine essence I have. I just don't always embody when I'm working. So that's what pulls me out. And, and it's also stress related to work. So it's, it's both of those things together. Cause I love what I do, but there are days when it gets super stressful and um, overwhelming. So, um, yeah. yeah, but like the things that pull me back are always meditation, yoga, dance, sad dance is super cathartic for me. Um, being in nature, massive, massive take <laughs> putting the phone away. Mm -hmm. There are days where I'm like, I'm not touching my phone. I don't even want to look at it. I've been sucked into technology on my mm -hmm. computer, my phone all week with work. I'm done. And all I want to do is be outside. So I'm like, babe, let's go for a walk. Like, I need to be outside. I need to be out of the house, you know? So nature is a big remedy for me too. Yeah. I think there's three primary things that'll pull me into the swamp and I'll just, my, my days get worse because of it. Celery juice. juice. Yeah. Celery. <laughs> that can Clearly. lead to accidents on the floor. <laughs> uh, just <laughs> that video. I laughed so hard with that. When that happens, I just tell Amber, one of the dogs had an accident. She's got to clean it up. But you know, for me, the three things, if I miss a workout, Mm -hmm. Or if I miss creative time, creative writing for usually mm -hmm. comedy, uh, or we, Amber and I don't have quality time together. Mm -hmm. Those are three things that it's like they, they occlude an artery that needs to deliver that nutrition into me. So for me, the workouts, creative time and quality time with Amber. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite quality time? with? Amber? Yeah. You know, the, the uh, having sex is certainly <laughs> up there. It's, Very figured that was yeah. high up there. I actually was asking about your morning routine to get moving, and then I stopped and thought that probably. It, <laughs> no, but I should have been thinking that. You know, so like just to be frank, certainly having sex is part of it. And, you know, I love to be in our backyard together with our dogs running around like maniacs. I just. I've so valued that expression of quality time. There's many things I love to do with Amber that we love to do together, but that one, it's just like, there's a stillness component in it. We're not even on an adventure, which is great, but it's like then a lot of the focus is on the adventure, but it's just like, yeah, there's something really special to me about, hey, we're home in the backyard with our crazy animals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's this, I'm having this, these thoughts about, you know, this contrasting idea of like quality time and alignment and technology over here. But then on the other end of it, it feels like that is what perpetuates and drives the content for the technology sure. in a way. Right. So I was, I'm kind of curious because you both have such beautiful content, you know, obviously JP with your comedy and your skits and some of it has to do with, you know, 
current affairs going on that you're willing to address and brave enough to address. Um, and Amber yourself too, but also from, you know, your, all of your words, your long posts, your perspective, your encouragement to be introspective and questions that we can ask ourselves. So how do you come up with that content? Mm -hmm. What drives it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'd say, um, for me, so much of it is, is just inspired in the moment. So it's inspired by things happening in my life, things I'm learning in my life. Um, a lot of my posts, I'm sharing a lot of my own experience, the challenges I've been through. And sometimes I'm writing myself a pep talk, right? Sometimes it's like I'm writing something for other people, but it's really for me too. <laughs> um, so I'd say that, you know, for me though, like my well of inspiration is really movement. So it's hard for me oftentimes to drop into a creative zone where I'm writing something if I haven't been moving that day. Cause movement, like the wisdom of the body connecting to that place for me as a dancer is like, that's like the first kind of primordial place that I feel connected to my heart, my body, intuition, source energy, whatever you want to call it. Like that's where I tap in. So meditation is another Mm -hmm. great portal for that. So, but for me, movement is huge. So the difference between my creative process after I go work out (laughs) versus before is like night and day oftentimes because physical movement gets you grounded immediately into the present moment makes you really present and aware and that's how you can open up that channel of inspiration to like receive the information or come up with the ideas that you want to share so that's that's how i tap in yeah yeah you have to be present i mean if you're working out counting reps or dancing and following the sound and the music in your body you can't help right present yeah yeah you know carl jung's thought our feelings are the language of our soul my feelings that's that's where my content comes from so when i am uh when i notice an emotional charge about something noticing what that something is is usually a comedic idea totally for example this past weekend i I, normally i work out in our home gym but i went to a gym because it's like i threw my back out recently i want to be able to do a real leg workout without loading my spine through squats. So I get to the gym and they said, you know, like quarantine, COVID kind of, you know, regulations. We're closing for a half an hour to clean. We'll be open again in a half hour. Then we'll be open for an hour. Then after that, we close for another half hour to clean. And, you know, this, like, this talking to a guy who, like, I remember the CDC said this uh, infection doesn't spread very easily on surfaces. I just wasted my time driving to a gym. And then I'm like, wait in the parking lot for a half hour or go home. So I was just pissed off. I don't like having my time wasted. So on the drive home, I'm just beaming. I had the emotional charge going. And then this flood of ideas came to me for the video and I just got back. I was filming that video this morning. I'm sure it'll, it'll be released by the time the podcast comes out, you know, with comedy specifically for my content, there's always two prime ingredients. There has to be truth in comedy and there has to be pain in comedy. And I know there's pain when I notice an elevated emotion. So Anyway, I, I do my best to notice the biofeedback mechanism of my emotions, and usually that'll point to what I'm supposed to do content on. So smart. Such an 
such a an elevated level of awareness as a human being to notice that because that also plays into so many other things too. You're worried about something and yeah. you feel it in your body. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, what's, you know, I can do that where I'm like, wait, why am I anxious? What's going on? And then you end up finding out sooner or later exactly what that's about. And you're like, oh shit, why couldn't you have hit my brain before you hit my body? Yeah. <laughs> and the truth is, is it probably kind of did at some point hit my brain, but I ignored it. Um, but um, that kind of leads me to a curiosity because you're such a power couple as far as what you do and your level of consciousness and your level of vulnerability. So maybe you feel like you, what is your purpose is what I want to ask. And is it individual and, or is it collective between the two of you too? Do you feel like you have a purpose together where you, are you here for a reason or do you feel like your purposes align and what are they? Yeah, I think, Yes, uh, and yeah. please jump in, B, but uh, I think we both have our individual purposes and then a third thing, which is our collective purpose. You know, like I know my individual purpose as I define it based on what's written on the wall there is, uh, you know, my, my purpose is to help people grow, heal, and awaken through conscious comedy. And what would you say your purpose is? So hilariously enough, my mission statement on my website says uh, I, trans I help people transform, heal, and awaken. But I do that in different ways, right? So we have different methods. Like yeah. his is comedy. Mine is through the body, oftentimes through plant medicines, through meditation, like all the different tools, business skills, like a lot of different tools go into that awakening or that transformation. But that's very much what I think we're here to do. And so when I met him, I was like, our souls are like on the same mission, baby. So like... We could do some awesome work together and, you know, in, in bring our different tools because we have different tools and skill sets. And my, my ultimate hope for us is that we do work together, whatever that may look like. Um, and we've gotten to do that a little bit in his videos. Um, but yeah. I love, I love, I love the one where you wear uh, the shirt and yeah. your arms. So inappropriately so funny. Yeah, that was so fun. Amber is great in the videos. And yeah, and I, I think we're probably in an ongoing process of author our collective purpose. Certainly an element of that is yeah. to bring our child wilder into the world mm -hmm. and love him with all of our hearts. And and I would also dare say other elements of our purpose together is to support the hell out of each other and trigger the hell out of each other so we can each be more whole individuals even though we're like screw you in the moment um but yeah, yeah. I, I personally you know and i'm curious your thought on it danica my personal belief is ideally in a relationship each individual has a sense of purpose outside of the relationship. That way they don't need the relationship, uh, but they can yeah. kind of like two whole individuals coming together rather than two half individuals coming together, trying to complete each other. Yeah. But I'm curious your, your yeah. thoughts. I think so too. I think that, um, I think that, you know, you're best individually when you have a thing right? If you don't have a thing, then you're dependent. And you're also 
not really in that elevated frequency of inspired, right? When you're inspired and you feel like you have something to live for and something you love doing and something that's creative and a lot of times it tends to be creative. It doesn't have to be, but you know, then you, you as a human being have, I think you're living more on your true soul frequency or a higher frequency that then attracts good things. And that good thing is that other person. And, you know, so if you both are doing that, then you attract each other. But um, so, yeah, I absolutely think you need your own thing because you need to do that for yourself. Because if we rely on someone else to make us happy, it can happen a lot or some of the time, which is more of the case maybe, but it will never happen all the time. Yeah. You can't guarantee your happiness if you're, re- if you're leaving that up to someone else. You just can't. It's going to be a roller coaster. It's going to be um, unpredictable. Um, and, you know, you want to be with someone who's inspired. You want to be with someone who has a dream and a passion and drive and, um, and purpose so that just like you guys, and that's why it's no mystery that you're together is because you both have like the same words that you have for what you want to do in this life. Maybe you do them different ways, but you have the same goals. And so, um, it's no mystery to me. So I think that you guys are an incredibly purposeful couple. And, um, I, uh, I'm so excited for Wilder. Like, give me your dream. Like what kind of world we're in a crazy freaking world yes. right now. Like shit hit the fan on every level. And I don't even want to talk about the next thing happening because <laughs> it seems to be, there's always a yes. next thing happening and I'm over yes. it. like, it's, we need, this is like the breakdown and now yeah. we need to break through. I'm hoping. Um, so what kind of world do you hope that Wilder is going to come into, um, after the dust settles and the sun yeah. comes back out, you know, a world that's unified, full of equality, justice, peace, harmony, where we're all collaboratively living together, working together, supporting each other, and a really amazing community atmosphere, you know, where, um, we dealt with a lot of our shadow stuff. We've dealt with a lot of our, all the pain and suffering that's disconnection happening in the world right now, I think is very much related to all the stuff going on inside of us, all the junk we carry that we're unwilling to look at. So by doing all that inner work, we're able to transform from the inside out and then ultimately change the external reality. But, you know, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, for me, it's um, just envisioning a world that's more green, eco-conscious, like sustainable, all those good things. Yeah, I, I love that. And I would add to it, I envision Wilder coming into a world with a lot of brave people and a lot of inspiration. You know, you mentioned that a, a minute ago, but I just love the idea of our son seeing people living their inspired life and people breaking the bonds of peaceful slavery because they're living under fear and people being brave instead. Uh, that, and that's already happening. Uh, love, love for more of that to happen. I want more of that for me, more of that for the world around me. But and what, a, what a joy to see my son, our son, seeing bravery and inspiration and and kindness and love care for the planet caring for our neighbors 
I, um, I'm getting this feeling right now. Like I need to ask you if you have, um, a closing quote for us because you're really good at quotes and you have beautiful ones. Is there some kind of closing quote that you have? Right on. Uh, here's a, yeah. Danica. Yes. <laughs> a quote from Walter Lippmann who says, wherever all people think alike, no one thinks very much. Mm. It takes a lot of bravery to think your own damn thoughts. Mm. And mm. fear isn't something we have to live through and have the tolerance of when we're in the, where everybody thinks alike world, uh, because nobody thinks very much. And, and I think the miracle of our own selves deserves the respect of us honoring what do I think? What's my gut feeling about this? rather than believing what we're told to think through our parents, media. It's like that's disrespectful to the miracle of our own selves. So Walter Lippmann, uh, believe him or not, yet his quote is, wherever everybody thinks alike, nobody thinks very much. Mm. I love it. Thank you guys yeah, so much. Thank you for having us. Thanks everybody for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.